All right, my name is Ted Nugent, full-time, and I am proud to share the American rhythm and blues rock and roll musical dream with my blood brother, Robert Miller. You're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Robert, follow your dream. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 192 countries. My name is Robert Miller, and I'm your host. My guest today is the mighty Jim McCarty, as Ted Nugent likes to call him. He's the famous blues and rock guitarist who has played with Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels and Buddy Miles, Cactus, Mystery Train, and others. And he's also recorded with Jimi Hendrix and Bob Seger as well. And in the middle of this episode, like I do with all of my musician guests, we are going to do a song fest. And I've asked Jim to pick out a handful of songs that he really digs. And we're going to play a little bit of them. And I'm going to talk about them with him. And it's going to be great fun because that's what we do. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And, you know, I always have a featured song in every episode. I try to make the song relevant somehow all the time. In this case, I picked out a song by my band Project Grand Slam that's called The One I'm Not Supposed to See. It's from the album East Side Sessions that we put out just before the world closed down with the pandemic. Why did I choose this track? Well, this track rocks almost as much as Jim McCarty rocks. So I thought it worked. So Jim McCarty, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Hey, Robert. How you doing, man? Terrific, terrific. All right, I got to start with a little story, okay? I'm talking to Ted Nugent on his interview a few months ago. And of course, we're talking about Detroit area rock and roll. And somehow or other, we get into Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. With Ted, you're always going to get into Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. That's right. He loves him. So I said to him, Ted, I got to tell you, maybe the first concert I ever saw was in 1966 when Devil with a Blue Dress was right at the top of the charts. And I was out on Long Island in New York because I grew up in the New York area at a place called Clay Cole's Scene, seeing Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. And what do I remember about that concert? I remember that there was this fabulous guitar solo between Devil with the Blue Dress and Good Golly Miss Molly. And I said, you know, I don't know who did that solo. And Ted jumped and he says, that was the mighty Jim McCarty. So that's when I knew I had to have the mighty Jim McCarty on this podcast. You're a star. Well, thank you, Ted. Yeah, Ted's always been, down through the years, he's always been uh, really kind to us. I, I believe Mitch Ryan and the Detroit Wheels is probably his uh, all-time favorite band. Well, it has to be one of your favorite bands, too. You were with him for a while, right? Well, it was a good group. Yeah, that's many years ago, though. You know, I kind of like to focus on what's going on now. I know, but I think people want to just know a little bit about that era because you guys were at the top of the charts 
when the whole British invasion thing was going on, you were like the American counterpoint to this. What was it like for you? Yeah, well, we were kids, you know, we were teenagers and we were young, but it was a lot of fun. You know, I've mentioned this in more than one interview in the past. Uh, the problem was that uh, Bob Crew, the guy who produced the band, only saw Mitch. He only saw Billy, the, the singer. He didn't understand that it was a combination of the band and the singer that created that hit making machine. And unfortunately, uh, ended up breaking up the band. Uh, well, that's the story in rock and roll, right? Yeah, tell me about it. Bands form and bands break up. All right. After Mitch Ryder, what was the next thing that you did? What what happened after that? Uh, Buddy Miles. But in between uh, Mitch and uh, Buddy Miles, uh, we were playing with the Corky Siegel Blues Band, a Siegel Schwab Blues Band in Chicago for about six months. And that took us out to California. We played the Fillmore in San Francisco, and then we went, we went down to the Whiskey of Go-Go in L.A., and that's where I bumped into Buddy. He had just left the, the Electric Flag, Michael Bloomfield's group. Right. And he was pretty hot at the time. He was putting his own band together. And he loved Mitch Ryan Detroit Wheels. So he came down to the whiskey and started talking to me about, uh, would you be interested in you know, being the guitar player in my band that I'm putting together? And it was he had a horn. This was before he played with Hendrix or after? Yeah, this was way before that. Way this before. Is when he was putting his first band together. And uh, he had a four-piece horn section. And that original horn section was a hell of a horn section. And I was intrigued by the idea of playing with a horn section. So uh, uh, I basically, uh, we had finished the tour on the West Coast with Siegel Schwal, and I just stayed out there, moved into the house in, in the Hollywood Hills, the, the band house, and joined the Buddy Miles Express. And we did uh, two, I ended up doing two albums with Buddy. The second album, uh, Jimmy Hendrix produced half of, which was an interesting, which was an interesting arrangement. Uh, sitting in the studio doing a guitar overdub with, with Jimmy's voice coming in the headphones. Said, All right, Jim, we're going to punch in now on the bridge. <laughs> How was he as a producer? He was good. He was good. He was very cool. He was a mellow guy. You know, if if you knew him, he was, he was kind of shy actually, which might be hard to believe. But well, once once he knew you, you know then. And once he got a guitar in his hands, then all hell broke loose. You know, I had a guy on the podcast, Joey D, from the Peppermint Twist thing. And Joey D told this great story about how he auditioned this guitarist named Maurice James, who had a guitar, didn't even have a guitar bag, had a little amp that was like a 12-inch amp. And this was Jimi Hendrix before he became Jimi Hendrix. And he was... Jimmy James. Well, he was Jimmy James, but he was Maurice James, I guess, before he was Jimmy oh, James. Oh. So he became a starlighter as part of Joey D and the Starlighters. Yeah, I love that band. And he had a few other guys in the band as well, like Felix Cavalieri as well. Yeah. Was that him playing the solo on the Peppermint Twist? I, I don't think so. Guitar. I think I Peppermint, love that guitar solo. Yeah, Peppermint Twist, I think, came out a long, a long time before that. But it's so interesting how people kind of traveled in and out of different circles like that. Oh, yeah. Did you come in contact with Hendrix again? Uh, numerous times. He kept coming around the Buddy Miles Express. Uh, he was talking to Buddy about putting a band together, which he eventually did. He had reached a point at that point in time where he was pretty much fed up with uh, Purple Haze and Foxy Lady, which is what people expected of him. He wanted to try, he wanted to get more of an R&B funky rhythm section behind him and then do his ideas on that. 
So he was coming around uh, quite a bit talking to Buddy. And so we bumped into each other on a regular basis. We would end up, after the clubs closed at four in the morning, we'd usually end up over at the record plant. Uh, everybody's just jamming. Gee, that must have been a lot of fun. Did you ever save any of the recordings? Yeah, there was a thing called Nine of the Universe. It's got a track, uh, the Jimmy Jimmy Jam, tune with me and Jimmy playing. Wow. Stuff like that, that would be great to hear, for sure. Yeah, well, you know, when you're talking about Jimmy, I mean, there were a lot of great guitar players back then, you know, uh, Clapton, uh, Jeff Beck, um, Michael Bloomfield, all these guys were terrific guitar players, but then there was Hendrix and everybody knew it, you know. Jimmy was one of those rare guys who not only was terrific, not only great, but he changed the parameters of what it is that all the rest of us do, you know, similar to Louis Armstrong or John Coltrane. These guys come in, rearrange the whole set, and then they, they don't stick around very long for some reason. Well, you know, Nugent says the same thing about you. He said your hollow body guitar changed everything for him. <laughs> well, that's Ted. There was one quote from him where I'm as important as Chuck Berry. I had to call him and say, Ted, tone it down, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's still not bad, man. I'm glad you love me, but I think Chuck might be a tad more important than me. <laughs> All right. So tell me, after Buddy Miles, was that when you went with Cactus? Yeah. Well, tell us how that run up. Yeah, I, I had uh, left Buddy after a couple albums. I moved out to San Francisco. I was living out there at that point in time. And uh, Beck had come out with the Beck Ola and uh, right. the Truth album. And those albums really knocked me sideways. Those were spectacular that was the kind of records. Yeah, that was the kind of stuff I wanted to get into at that point in time. And uh, fortunately, uh, Tim and Carmine, uh, the drummer and bass player from the Vanilla Fudge, who I had played with on various occasions, uh, just jamming, they were uh, interested in putting a power trio thing together. They were kind of tired of the fudge. And um, when Led Zeppelin had come over there on their first tour, they were opening for Vanilla Fudge and they were blowing them off the stage. And that was the direction that Tim and Carmine wanted to go in. So they got in touch with me I flew to New York and we uh, had the studio out. They had their rehearsal in the studio out on Long Island and we just started jamming and the energy level was off the charts. So we put Cactus together. And you were in Cactus for what, a couple of years, if I remember? Yeah, there was, it was when the things were working right. We did three albums all total with, with me playing. When things were working right, it was an amazing band. Energy level was astounding. You had Rusty Day, who was from Detroit. I knew Rusty from before the band. So it's like two Detroit guys and two New York guys. But unfortunately, there was a lot of occasions when it wasn't gelling the way it was supposed to. Uh, I had a problem with Tim. Hey, Tim was a, a little too flamboyant for my taste. And eventually, after, after a couple of years, I had enough of that. Well, it was a great band while it lasted. I remember this was early 70s, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, 70 and, 70 and 71. It was, it was interesting, too, because after I left the band about, uh, what was it, would have been uh, maybe 10 years later or so, 15 years later, I started hearing these stories of how this guy from this band or this guy from this band, Cactus was an influence, right? And I never realized that. I just thought it was like, I always viewed it as an experiment that never really worked or never really worked the way I wanted it to. But apparently it was a band that had influence on uh, other groups. Well, I think all three of you 
you know, you and Carmine and Tim also just influenced so many people. Tim Bogart influenced me as a bass player. Carmine is still out there playing. And, you know, you're you're a legend on the guitar. Yeah, Carmine's an amazing individual. It's one of the things I miss about not being, I, I don't do the road anymore, simply can't do it. But I miss playing with Carmine. You know, he was an absolutely amazing drummer. Not only a great drummer, but he was one of the guys that invented that genre, what they call heavy drumming. Like arena rock kind of drumming, yeah. It's just sure. heavy, you know, heavy drumming, yeah. yeah. A lot of fun to play with. All right, so take us after Cactus. What happened then? After Cactus, I went back to Detroit, and I, I, I felt the urge to, I wanted to put more of a rock, just a straight-ahead rock and roll thing together. And I got together with Johnny B, the drummer from Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels, and uh, we put the Rockets together, which was a band that was together, a Detroit band, for 10 years. We put out a half a dozen different albums on uh, three or four labels. And for whatever reasons, I mean, these things you can never really fathom, but the band never got the hit record, the big breakthrough hit record. We would play Pine Knob every year in Detroit, the outdoor venue for, you know, 15, 20,000 people. But we couldn't get, we were, at one point became the greatest opening act in the world. We opened for everybody. <laughs> you, you name them, we opened for them, right? But uh, after, you know, eight, nine, 10 years, you only get so many chances at that, you know, golden ring. And then it kind of, the band uh, imploded. And I had reached a point at that point in time, it would have been the early eighties, where I wanted to play the kind of music that I've always loved, blues. And um, so I made a conscious decision that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I wanna play blues music. So I joined the local band in Detroit, the Detroit Blues Band, and played with them for a, a good length of time before I put uh, my own band together, Mystery Train. We became the house band at a place called the Memphis Smoke here at Royal Oak. And Emmanuel Garza, the guitar player in my band now, was uh, the guitar player in the Detroit Blues Band. So we've known each other. But I, at this point in time, it's, it's, I said this more than once, I need both rock and roll and blues in order to be musically satisfied. Put your two halves together, right? Yeah, it's, it's two things. I need both of them. You know, Good for you. it was something all during the course of the Rockets uh, where I, I, I wanted to play blues. And um, eventually, when the band finally ended, I made a, that conscious decision. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Robert Miller. The Shakespeare Concert is the new album by my band, Project Grand Slam. 15 of our greatest hits recorded live in the studio, one after another concert style no overdubs no fixes just as is the album's been praised by so many famous musicians including mark farner of grand funk railroad jim peterick of the ides of march joey d of peppermint twist fame legendary guitarist elliot randall and celebrated british composer sarah class and the music reviewers have called it perfection, five stars, thrilling, and a masterpiece, among other accolades. You can stream the album on Spotify, Apple, and all the other streaming services. And it's also available the old-fashioned way for purchase as a digital download or CD from the pgsstore.com. I'll even autograph the CD for you. 
I want to thank you for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you use. And if you want the inside scoop on each new episode, just sign up for our weekly email on our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. All right, so let's go into the second half of this interview that we've talked about. And we're playing right now underneath us this song, Juggernaut, okay? Uh, which reminds me somehow of Bad Company. Tell me a little bit about Juggernaut. Yeah, this is off the Cactus Black Dawn album, which came out about what was it four years ago now? Four, yeah, about four years ago. And I produced that particular album, and uh, it's a hell of an album. As far I, I guess I'm prejudiced, but um, I was uh, 71 and Carmine was 70 when that was done, and I can guarantee you, there's nobody that age that was doing that stuff. Well, you're right about that because you guys were rocking on that track. Yeah, on every that track. track on that CD is, uh, is is solid, and I'm very pleased with that album. But um, we haven't done anything since then. There was a, a reunion album that was done in 2006 that was brought out. That was when Timmy was still with us, and he was on that one. Pete Bremy is the bass player on the on the Black Dawn CD. Right. T you know, Tim Tim is gone at this point in time. And who's the singer on on Juggernaut? Jimmy Coons, in that particular tune, he sings his ass off. Yeah, he does. He does. That's a nice tune. Okay, let's go on to the next one. You picked a song called Dexter Digs In, which um, I found really interesting because it's, it's an <laughs> instrumental kind of thing. It kind of reminded me of like the ventures on steroids. Okay. And I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> well, I love the ventures. Yeah. That's my solo CD that came out around the same time. I think that the, the, the Black Dawn CD did. Uh, one of the interesting things about that CD is I'm playing everything on that. All the guitars, the bass and drums. There's 10, in, 10 original instrumental tracks on that one. And um, we picked Dexter Digs in. Because my male cat, Dexter, said I'd better pick that track. <laughs> so what was it like doing the whole album solo like that? It was a challenge, but it, it turned out great. I did all the guitars and the bass at home in my studio. And then I took the, the tracks over to Pete, uh, Peter J., my engineer, at his studio, and we put the real live drums on over his studio. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. I'm thinking of McCartney, you know, doing that first album of his where he played everything 
There's not too many guys that do albums like that. Yeah, well, I played drums for like 15 years before I picked up the guitar. Oh, you're you know? kidding. In fact, when we did uh, Devil with a Blue Dress, that tune that you like so much, yeah. uh, I still considered myself a drummer at that point in time. <laughs> after, the song, after the song went to number two in the country, I said, I guess I'll be a guitar player. I think that was probably a wise choice at that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so let's go on to the third one, Excello Boogie. It's a live song, and that's Mystery Train, isn't it? That's my band that I have these days. That's that's Mystery Train. That was done at a, a premier blues club called Callahan's that unfortunately is no longer with us. And that place was like my home base, and it was terrific because I had the opportunity to meet and play with a lot of guys that I really respected, people like Coco Montoya, Tom Castro, Duke Robillard. Uh-huh. All these guys came through. And we did two compilations. We did McCarty and Friends Volume 1 and McCarty and Friends Volume 2. And this particular track is from Volume 2. This is my band with the harp player, Jason Ricci, sitting in with us. All right. You'll excuse me if I tell you it sounded a lot like ZZ Top to me. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure others have said that. It's a boogie thing, yeah. Yeah, but the solo we get off at the end there is, is uh, even Billy told Billy Gibbons, I sent him a copy and he loved it. He did, huh? Yeah, well, you, you had that same kind of vibe on that track. Well, it's, it's, it's a boogie, you know, and ZZ Top is famous for their boogies. You betcha, you betcha. All you were missing with the beards, huh? <laughs> All right, so let's go to the last one. Blues for Mr. Boy Toe. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That's correct, yes. set up this podcast on our end here all right that's all that's off my brand new album which i'm very pleased with acoustic ideas this is a cd that was done uh, basically because of the pandemic all during the pandemic i played very little electric guitar i played the acoustic and then in the summer of 2021 i recorded a couple of the ideas that i had and I love the sound of that old Gibson dove so much that I, I decided I'm going to do an entire CD of acoustic music. And it came out lovely. I'm really pleased with it. Who's ever heard this sort of thing from before? I was going to say, I, I have to tell you that when I heard the track after you picked it out, I was surprised. I said, really? This is Jim McCarty doing this, okay? Because it's so different from what I'm used to with you. Yeah, that, there's two tracks that are straight up blues tracks on that CD. The rest of it's not really a blues CD. 
uh, it's just Jim McCarty, I guess is what I say. But I wanted that one. I wanted that one to, to get, get. I wanted a little bit of the blues thing out of the four tunes that we picked. Well, it was nice to have the blues, but I'm saying to have the acoustic as well. You know, you. I when I think of you, I'm thinking more of a of a hard rock kind of a sound. Exactly. So this was exactly. a totally different sound. Yeah, this whole CD uh, is a, a whole different side to Jim McCarty. All right, good for you. All right, so what's in the future for you, Jim? Well, like I said, unfortunately, I don't do the road anymore. You know, I, I just physically I can't do it. But um, I've got my band Mystery Train, and when we're playing, I, I'll play within like a 100, 150 mile radius of Detroit. I won't travel all that much. And uh, down the road, maybe a live album of Mystery Train is what I'm thinking of right at this point in time. Sounds good. Are you still in touch with Mitch Ryder? I haven't talked to Billy in years. I, it, it Bill, Bill Levice is his real name. I call him Billy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't talked to Bill in, in, uh, in a long time. No. Is he still out there performing? I believe so. Yeah. He's the, I think he lives in Nashville or somewhere down in that area now. All right. Well, listen, you should definitely do some kind of a memoir because you took the whole history of rock and roll from all the things that you've been doing, right? From the mid-60s through now. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while. Good for you. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and I still feel pretty good. So as long as I, as long as I can do it, I'll, I'll keep playing. All right. And you got your hair. That's what counts. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we have been talking here with Jim McCarty. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and to catch up with everything that you've done. And uh, really, really a, a terrific thing to have somebody like you on the podcast. We're going to play now the song that started out underneath the introduction. I always play the same song at the end. This is a song by my band called The One I'm Not Supposed to See. I thank you all for listening. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Thank you.